0: Well, traditionally, I preach on these weekends. New Year's weekend is one of the ones that I, I, I don't know all 10 years that I've been here if I have preached on this weekend, but a lot of them. Um, and I, I just want to thank, thank everyone for the privilege um, in saying that. Uh, that said, we are, are taking a little bit of break from uh, look, first let's uh, approach in prayer again. Lord God, I pray simply as we get into your word, I thank you for speaking to us. I pray that we would would hear what you are saying through your word. We thank you that we don't have to question what it is you would say to us. It is put before us by the words of the apostles, the prophets, by the word of Jesus Christ, all inspired by your Holy Spirit. We know what you're speaking to us. As we work through it, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and an understanding. Lift the veil that we might we might know what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, again, we're taking a brief break from our First Samuel uh, passages uh, that, that Clark has gotten into. We, I, I said this. I don't mean this as a bad thing. We've, we've gone, done three Old Testament books in a row. That's not a problem. It's all the Word of God. But we've gone Genesis, Exodus, and going up to Samuel. So for this holiday season, you're getting a New Testament break. And uh, last week, Clark preached from Philippians. Uh, he talked about Christ emptying himself, Christ in, in his suffering in the incarnation there. A uh, wholly appropriate message uh, for the Christmas season. I, I thank him for that. Um, it, the, uh, it's good for us to remember that, as, as sweet and serene as the nativity scene may be, Christ was born to be a suffering servant. That is, Um, uh, something that we are very privileged that we can celebrate uh, his sacrifice. And, of course, we celebrate his sacrifice not because it stops there, but because it led to the defeat of sin and death and hell and his resurrection. But again, uh, just continuing to to have a little break for the holiday season there, I I, I did just have a longtime friend of mine in this congregation, who doesn't look like he's actually here to hear me say it, note that I frequently will default to preaching from Romans whenever I uh, break and pick my own scripture. And that is true, they are right, not that I've not used others, but I do uh, like to preach from Romans. And uh, I was reading and thinking that I have not prepared a whole sermon from Romans chapter 5 in this last decade, so I wanted to do that. And hopefully you can see that I did so in order to complement last week's message as well. Uh, so that said, here is today's scripture passage. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Uh, you heard me read most of it for the kids there. A very familiar set of verses to us who have uh, been longtime members of Christ's church. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. That is God's word. And over the years, I've pretty much stuck with a formula in my preaching where I'll present your, the scripture text to you all, and then I'll have, try to have my personal illustration. And in the last decade, I don't expect everybody has uh, paid attention to my every illustration, but I know I've told you know, stories of my family life uh, growing up with my brother who has a very extreme cerebral palsy. I know I've, I've mentioned uh, uh, that my wife and I had some difficulty uh, having children. I've had various academic struggles or struggles in my military career that I've mentioned. Uh, financial woes that included you know, struggling to pay for an underwater house in a real estate market that I didn't create. Um, I've talked about those and I, I, I've mentioned before that I had a brief period of uh, anxiety, depression and insomnia that made me think it was a mental health emergency. And, Uh, And uh, all of those, all of those are uh, kinds of life situations that I think are fair to have to say have an element of suffering to them. And I know a lot of you can relate to those situations, and it's very likely that you have your own personal stories. It's not likely, it's sure you have your own personal stories of suffering uh, that are truly sorrowful. And I pray for God's uh, peace and comfort to you all in that. I know some of what, what some of you are dealing with right now. And so I'd be, I would uh, be remiss that if I didn't men- uh, make mention in, in, with my most recent bout of suffering, a lot of you know this, um, uh, I, I need to stop talking about it. But a few weeks ago, I had a kidney stone, and it was my first one. And a kidney stone is one of those things that not everybody has, but enough people have them that everybody wants to tell their personal story about having it. They just do. Um, Like I said, I need to stop uh, talking about it. Um, it, it, It's over with for the moment, as far as I can tell. Um, And nothing went wrong to where it became uh, particularly dangerous, there were no infections or anything. Uh, But man, do those things hurt. (laughs) They just do. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and so I'll tell you, all I'll mention about it is I went to urgent care twice in the first 24 hours that I had this thing. Um, and I won't tell you the, sto- the whole story if you want to hear the full animated version. The second time I went to urgent care was in the middle of the night, and it involved me crawling all the way from a basement across the frosty grass in the middle of the night out to the car with Wendy just being quite frenzied and yelling at me because I wasn't wearing shoes or a jacket or, or pants. I was wearing shorts, but I wasn't wearing pants. And so she was all upset about that, and again, I'm, I'm low crawling across the ground in agony just trying to get to the... Just to get to the car, and she's yelling at me about pants, and I'm like, being cold is not what's important right now. I need to get in a vehicle and get to the, to the hospital. So that, that's just a picture of what that suffering looked like for me. It got better, but it still took a while. Anyway, that said, that said uh, if you want the full story, it's even longer than that. Suffering comes our way in this life in many different forms, in many different ways. Why do I mention a whole bunch of different kinds of suffering instead of just one, instead of just one example right now? Like I said, I like preaching from Romans almost by default for a couple reasons. One is that I think the passages are so straightforward that if you just read them carefully, they pretty much preach themselves. Uh, This is one of those passages. And secondly, I have several good reference books that I like to use. Uh, for that. Two that I used this week included John Murray's commentary, which is called The Epistle to the Romans, and then also R.C. Sproul had a book that was called The Gospel of God and the Exposition of Romans. Those were two that I did some reading up on. And so just to give you a picture of what it's like to read up and prepare for a message um, in preaching and teaching, 20th century OPC theologian John Murray, um, on, this, on verses 3 and 4 in today's passage, he said this, when Paul says tribulation works patience, He has in mind the tribulation, which belongs to the context of the Christian profession. He is not making a general statement that this is the effect of all the troubles that visit men. The tribulations are specific. They are those in Christ for Christ's sake. So that's what OPC theologian John Murray said. And what John Murray seems to be saying is that Paul is not talking about all the various sufferings in life like I've mentioned a moment ago. Paul is talking about suffering for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And he's right that Paul does suffer for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Uh, I'll read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 there. Yep, 1 Corinthians 11. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one, this is Paul talking. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countenance And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Certainly, Paul is talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel, suffering for the sake of Christ there. So I have no doubt that that could have been on his mind. But when we go back to our Romans passage, is that exclusively the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about in our passage today? And so here's the thing. Like I said, two different books. In R.C. Sproul's exposition of Romans in regards to the same verses from chapter 5, he says this, Paul is saying that if God is in control, then the most bitter human experiences we are called to endure, death, disease, the loss of loved ones, war, terror, all of these things that we dread in the depths of our beings become not only tolerable, But we can actually glory in them because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain that we experience. So, sprawl there is saying that these verses are in reference to all kinds of suffering that come our way in life, not just the specific sufferings for Christ's sake, as John Murray asserted. I would I would put those two statements together. And I tell you this mainly because I want to get across to you what it's like to try and rightly handle the Word of God. I've got two known and respected Reformed Presbyterian teachers writing different things about the same verses. We are not as homogenous as a Reformed Presbyterian community as some people might think. So then the question is, who's right here? And I will tell you, I'm going to tend to agree with Sproul that this passage has in mind to rejoice in all the various sufferings in this life, not just those sufferings that come our way explicitly because of Christ. Now, I will say, Christ is the one upholding the universe. Christ is the one uh, uh, that... Uh, we, we glorify in everything that we do, so there's a sense in the way, in, in which uh, all of our sufferings are for the sake of Christ. But that said, I just mean that in distinction uh, uh, from things like persecution as Paul, as Paul experienced. So again, why do I say that, that I would say that this is applicable to all the various sufferings in life? With all due respect to Murray interpreting Paul in light of Paul's own experience and noting how Paul suffered for the sake of Christ in the gospel, that's absolutely true. Paul also famously was kept humble by suffering with the thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians 12. And so the, yep, we do have it there for you on, on, on the overhead. And the thing about the thorn in that side is Christian thinkers love to speculate on that. Christian thinkers love to speculate on things that, two, two things that, that, that irritated the life out of me though, that people love to speculate on are who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. <laughs> and what was the thorn in Paul's side? We don't know. We don't know what the thorn in Paul's side was. As much as we might want to speculate it was something in in relation to his ministry for the sake of Christ, what we know is he had some sort of suffering to keep him humble, to make him boast in his weakness. So Paul is very acquainted with general suffering as well, is what I would say here. Paul boasted... Uh, in the weakness that was the thorn, and it could have easily been any kind of suffering, as far as we know. I think the scripture is intentional in that. I think when we don't know something, it's because God doesn't need us to know. Um, now, beyond that, as far as the scriptures in general go, apart from Christ on the cross, our greatest picture in, of suffering in the scriptures, which Paul certainly would have known, is Job. Uh, we know that Satan approached God calling for God to inflict suffering on Job so that Job would in turn curse God. And God, of course, knew that would happen. So that's the cosmic picture of what's happening in the book of Job. But that said, there's no earthly reason listed for Job's suffering at all. Uh, there, he's, uh, he's not being persecuted for anything he's done, and he's not facing the consequences of any particular sin. He's suffering. He's suffering. He's suffering um, in losing his family, his possessions, his health, and he suffers in general, but he never curses God, although he does certainly wallow in his own misery. We see that with the verses that I have there uh, for you. Job 30, my inward parts are in turmoil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I am a brother of jackals. And a companion of ostriches, my skin turns black, and falls from me, my bones burn with heat. I gotta imagine that hurts more than a kidney stone. That said, I've spent a significant time about talking about suffering here. Suffering is a key word in our passage from Romans five today, there in verse three. And really, I spent all that time on suffering to let you know that our passage is calling us to rejoice in suffering. I do believe that that applies to all kinds of suffering in this life. However, while I contend that suffering is a key word that is integral to our application of this passage, and in spite of all the time I just spent talking about it, about half our message, basically, suffering is a word that draws our attention because life is hard and we all experience it in various forms. But it's not actually our main point here. The main point of this passage is actually not about suffering, rather... Our main point in Romans 5, 1 through 5, is actually telling us the benefits of being justified. That's what we've got here. So let's go back to the passage, verses 1 and 2. Let me read again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And... Here we're at that point where earlier I said, this passage can just preach itself. I I trust that many of us in this room were familiar with that old chestnut of a phrase that when you see a therefore, you got to ask, what's it there for, right? So this opens up with a therefore. In this case, the therefore is therefore. That in the previous chapter, Romans 4, Paul's just made the case that Abraham was in fact a man of faith in God. And that faith was counted to him as righteousness, and that that, right, that uh, faith that was counted as righteousness, it, it wasn't just for his own sake. Rather, it points to how those of us with faith in Christ are justified in him. That's, that's what's been set up for us in Romans 4, if we go back and read that. So we have justification in Christ, and it's this legal declaration that we are, in fact, innocent of all sin and wrongdoing, and we only have that justification, that, that legal standing of innocence through Christ's finished work on the cross, his death and resurrection. Now we know that, now that we know that, chapter 5, uh, uh, 1 through 5, that basically gives us an answer to the question of, so what? We're justified, we're righteous because of Christ, so what does that do for us? What does this legal declaration do for us? We have three big benefits listed here, um, in, and they're spelled out in verses 1 and 2. As justified believers, we have peace with God. As justified believers, we have access by faith into grace. And as justified believers, we have hope of glory. So when we're justified, we have peace, access, and hope. So let's first uh, talk a little bit, what does it mean that the justified have peace? Good, yep, next here. Now, um... We have that statement in, in uh, the beginning of our passage. If we go just a little further in Romans chapter 5, not in our pericope and not in our paragraph that we've already read, but Romans 5.10, it, it expounds a little bit. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What do we, what do we have there? The peace that we have with God is no longer being his enemy being reconciled reconciled to Him. We may have heard that enough times in our life that 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 seems like a given, Um, but we we can't forget that. Being enemies with God is due to our sin, and peace is coming not only through Christ's death, it's coming through His life. Imagine if the peace that we have through God only came through His death. What would that mean? The peace would be incomplete. There would be punishment for sins, but there would be no reward. There would be no reward. The reconciliation is all that much greater because his life merits this eternal reward that we no longer live as an enemy, but at peace with God as a child and a friend for eternity. Both his death and resurrection are necessary to give, give us that kind of peace with God. That, and that peace with God, again, it's turning from being an enemy to a child and a friend, And why is that so significant to me at the moment there? What I'll say is, uh, I have that famous Christmas passage there for us. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, I, I alluded to earlier, so often we want to think of peace as just that serene scene. You know, we put out our nativities and, you know... Have any of us really thought about how uncomfortable laying in a manger would it actually be, whether there was straw in there or not? I don't know. Those things, you know, historically I think have been made out of rocks or really hard wood, and yet we set it up as this calm little scene that's, you know, peaceful and calming to us there. It's like, that's not the point of that. That's not the kind of peace we're striving for, just some kind of calm, serene night. The kind of peace that we have is not just a temporal serenity, but it is a peace for eternity for those who are no longer his enemy. I think the ESV gets it right the way they translate this Luke uh, 2.14 phrase um, there at the end where it says, uh, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's specifically those who he is pleased with, those who have been brought to faith in Christ Jesus to be his child, to be be God's children, to be uh, Christ's brothers and friends. Those are the ones that are experiencing the kind of peace that we're looking for here. So that is peace that we, the justified, have peace. Let's move on to what does it mean that we have access? I think this should be readily prevalent in our minds as we finished um, Exodus a little while ago. We had lots of pictures of access in Exodus. Um, I'll give it to you a picture from Ephesians 2.18. There we see uh, this phrase, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Uh, And I liked this as a, a way to expound on what it means that we have access. We have access in one spirit to the Father through him, through Jesus. There is a Trinitarian nature to our access, and that's important. The Romans 5 verse it told us that uh, it's by grace, uh, excuse me, that it's access by faith into grace in which we stand. Well, that faith is in us because of the Holy Spirit truly dwelling in us. And that, that is how He dwells, how Christ dwells in us, how the work of Christ isn't just something that we have an intellectual belief in, but we are joined spiritually to Jesus Christ so that we can stand in the presence of God. Standing in the presence of God has been a feature of God dwelling among his people since we've seen in Exodus in the tabernacle. And now that picture shows us a spiritual reality of access to God. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 there spells that out a little bit more for us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are able to have true presence with God, and it's a little bit abstract for us when we think of it right now. We don't physically see God in his presence here with us right now, but we understand him to be spiritually with us. And that's actually what helps that Old Testament picture that we talked about with the tabernacle, with the the holy place, with going through the curtain and having a priest to do all that. It gives us a tangible picture of this spiritual reality of access. And in the past, to have that picture, we'd have this imperfect priest to sacrifice and make the cleansing, but that was always insufficient. That was always to point forward to our true and final priest, Jesus Christ who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, who gives us access to the glory of God, the Father. So again, we, the justified, have access to God. We have access. And what does it mean for us to have hope with all that? Uh, again, back to our Romans 5 verses, starting with the second half of verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now that is the whole rest of our passage here. And we've got a sequence, but hope is incredibly prominent in that sequence, in those syllogisms. We have hope in the glory of God. Surely the great glorified state that we look forward to uh, is in eternal life with him. Glory speaks of God's greatness, and it also speaks of a weightiness. It speaks of something more deep and significant than I think we really can truly understand this side of heaven, this side of uh, uh, new life in eternity. We have this hope in the glory of God, but in waiting, there is still suffering, tribulation, pain in this life. And again, I spoke significantly about that in the first half of our message today we tend to lose sight of that glory that is to come in the midst of our pain, our suffering, our tribulations. We just tend to lose sight of it. And it's why, even outside of Paul, we can see easily identifiable parallel passages, James 1, to 2-3. We've got to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is a lot like endurance, isn't it? steadfastness, standing firm, keeping on in the midst of suffering in faith. So we have various kinds. James talks about suffering similar to Paul in that it's all kinds of suffering. And again, we have this idea of endurance, patience, perseverance, and steadfastness. I just want to emphasize that it is not just a passive waiting, although maybe sometimes it feels like that. Again, back to my kidney stone. I just felt like I was sitting there waiting in pain for a lot of time. Um, Uh, But moving forward, when we are in these periods of uh, uh, needing to be, uh, uh, excuse me, in these periods of suffering and pain, we are patient, uh, not just passively, but we persevere, we stand steadfast, we endure. And what does that mean? It means we live according to our faith in Christ while we're in the midst of that kind of suffering and pain. And what happens when we do that? Well, it produces character. And, you know, even as as, as I tried to communicate that to our young kids there earlier, you know, I've always wondered, like, do we have different ideas of what character means sometimes? You know, it's just one of those phrases or one of those words that we use. Like, like, oh, that's, that's a guy of good character. Well, what does it mean in this context? So I did bother to look it up, and, uh, and my uh, glossary or lex- lexicon that I used on that talked about character as an approved integrity. Does that make sense? Character being an approved integrity, meaning you've, got, you've gotten through some trials, and they have shown that you have integrity, that you have those character traits that God would have you display in times of trial. All that leads to, again, our main point here that we're on, hope. We're on hope. And so what is hope? have it down there at the bottom for you. Another definition of hope. uh, 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 Something that helps our definition of hope. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now that is defining faith, but it helps us understand what hope is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance. We don't just have blind hope that things might work out. We have assurance. We have a guarantee of a yet unseen reality of the life and blessings and benefits that God has for us. Of truly being and living in his glorious presence. We have assurance. Hope gives us assurance. Our endurance, our patience, our rejoicing in suffering—it leads to character. It leads to hope, sure assurance of what is to come. And then, as as the verses in uh, Romans uh, keep going, there we go, We have that phrase: "Hope does not put us to shame." And I and I always, for years, would read them like, "How does hope put you to shame?" Again, you know, I, you know, I I think hope in general. You know, in common parlance, you know, often means that just yeah, I have a positive attitude that things could work out. That's what's that's what that's what I'm hopeful about. I think that's the way we frequently use the word. And why would that ever put you to shame? Why would that? Well, because that's not what we're talking about. That's how would it be that hope could put us to to shame uh, if if we hope for something that's unsure? If this glory of God that we're supposed to have access to. If this justification, if um, this peace, this glory of God that we have access to, if all that if all that is something that we hope for and hope to get to, but we don't, well yeah, wouldn't that put us to shame? Wouldn't that put us to shame? But it doesn't put us to shame because again, of that assurance that that uh, we have. We have assurance of what we hope for. It's not the case that we're just kind of wishing everything that's going to work out. Our hope is a sure reality because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the historical fact that he defeated sin and death and hell on our behalf. And that brings us all back around to our, our application. Um, as I said in the beginning, I talked so much about suffering, and that's key to our, our application, our application does is that in the midst of all of our various kinds of suffering, whatever it might be, we rejoice. I've mentioned everything from money woes to, you know, my kidney stone, and you I have no doubt, I know, a lot of us have our own suffering. There is no short supply of sufferings in this life. And so if we're sitting here today and we have justification, then that declaration that we are innocent and righteous because of Christ— That brings us peace, access, and and hope. And it is in such a way that it motivates us to rejoice. It motivates us to rejoice. And I will admit that I often don't feel like rejoicing. For those of you who who have noted the repeats in my cycle of songs, it's often because those are the songs that most make me feel like rejoicing. Those are my personal preferences. You may have your own. That's fine. But that said... This, well, um, our passage today in Romans 5 closes out letting us know that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about me conjuring up the ability to rejoice through some motivational speech. That's not what it is. It's a call to live in the reality of who we are as ones joined to Christ by His Holy Spirit in us. When we are rejoicing, in the midst of our suffering, we are living in the reality of who we are in Christ, his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so every, uh, even when we are surrounded by every sort of pain and suffering, he truly in it, is in us, and he is the one that propels us forward for all that he has in store, looking forward to his glory. Let's close in prayer on that now. Lord God, let us not dwell on our sufferings, let us rather understand that you have justified us, that you have given us peace, that you have given us access to you, and that we have a sure hope. All of those realities that have happened by the historical work of Jesus Christ that are spiritual realities that are true for us now, we will see your glory face-to-face in eternal life. In the new heavens and earth, we will be made new. We will have all of our suffering fall away. We pray that it is by your real and present Holy Spirit in us that we are able to truly rejoice through all kinds of situations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.